The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to the book of Ruth, uh, Ruth chapter 2. We will walk through, Lord willing, uh, chapter 2 together this morning. As you're turning there, uh, people that are of my generation and older uh, have something maybe that below us don't necessarily have, memories of having to watch a TV show when it actually aired, right? Uh, I remember some of my fondest memories were, were growing up and, and making a beeline to the living room to sit in front of this big, huge console television on the floor, you know, and, and watch these programs. And especially in the summertime, uh, there would be these, um, uh, these like mini series that would come on. I was always into these like crime drama things, you know, and, uh, and you'd sit down and you'd watch this thing. And, and if, if you had to go to the bathroom, you know, you, you had the limited window of the commercials. You could not pause it or rewind it or anything like that. You just had to run, you know, to it and hope that, you know, one of your siblings didn't beat you to it, you know, and get back for this thing. And you'd, you'd be just all locked in to this show. And then what would happen oftentimes at the end of the show? To be continued, right? Cliffhanger. Well, as a pastor who loves to preach through books of the Bible verse by verse, that's sort of how I feel as we go through Ruth. Because Ruth is not, it's not heavy doctrine, it's a story. This is a mini-series Old Testament style. This is God every week for us saying to be continued. Now, to be fair, this story was meant to be read all the way through in one setting. And, and I would encourage you, just as uh, I heard uh, one of the Bible study teachers this morning say, go home and read this after he preaches. And, and I would encourage you to be doing that. But this is sort of like to be continued. So let me just start out the way they often would. You'd come back the next week, and what would they say? Last week on Ruth, from despair to delight. That's kind of what it would be like, right? So last week, what did we look at? Last week, we saw a man named Elimelech. Elimelech was a man of Bethlehem, and he had a wife named Naomi, and there was a famine in the land of Bethlehem. In fact, in the whole land of Judah, because it was in the days when there were no kings, the judges ruled, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And it was apparently one of these seasons where they were straying from God, and God had, had sent a famine on the land like he promised that he would. And so Elimelech, rather than trusting God that God would provide for them in the land of promise, Elimelech decides that he cannot trust his God, even though Elimelech's name means my God is king. He decides to take matters into his own hand and move his family to Moab. Now, Moab was a hated place because the Moabites were, uh, were, they began in this incestuous relationship between Lot and his own daughter. And so the Israelites didn't like uh, the Moabites for a lot of reasons. They were pagans. They had not let them pass through their land when they were wandering in the wilderness. The uh, Moabite women had been known for seducing Israelite men. It was just a, just a mess. And so Elimelech, when he decides, okay, where can I take my family, he decides not to go to Disney World, but to go to Moab, right? To the most wholesome place he could think of. Wrong, right? He takes them to Moab. And while he's there in Moab, it doesn't take long for us to see what happens. It tells us the story that Elimelech dies. And when he dies, he leaves his wife Naomi as a widow with two sons. Well, she has a decision to make at that point, whether she will continue to live in Moab or whether she will return to the land of promise. 
And she apparently decides to stay in Moab, and her sons marry women who are Moabites. And they live there for about 10 years, and for 10 years, his sons, her sons don't have any children of their own, and then they die. The sons die, which leaves Naomi now as a widow and uh, without any sons, without any grandchildren, and all she has are these two daughters-in-law. And uh, she decides at this point, she's out in the field one day, and she overhears that God has lifted the famine in, in Bethlehem, and she decides to return. And so as she decides to return, her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, say, we will go with you. We're going back with you. And they start on their way, and Ruth along the way says, no, my daughters, it's extremely bitter for me that God's hand has gone out against me. You need to stay. Go back to your people, because if you come with me, you're dooming yourself to a lifelong sentence of, uh, of, of being single. You will never marry because I don't have anybody. You won't have children. You come into a people you don't know. You're aligning yourself with a person who God is against. And she convinces Orpah to return. But Ruth clings to her. And Ruth makes one of the most famous speeches in all of the Bible, and she says basically, your people will be my people. Where you dwell, I will dwell. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I'm going to die. I'll be buried there. And if anything separates us besides death, may God do what he wants to me. And Naomi just closes her mouth. And they make their way back to Bethlehem. And here is Naomi, after 10 years at least, and, and then uh, coming back into Bethlehem with this Moabite daughter-in-law. No sons, no husband, anything. She comes back into the city, and the city just is stirred. It becomes alive with activity because they realize this is Naomi. They recognize her. And one of them, at least one of the ladies, walks up to Naomi and says, Naomi, is this you? And Naomi is the bitter shell of what she was when she left because Naomi's name means pleasant. But she says to this lady, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. For God has dealt dealt extremely bitterly with me. And she looks at these ladies and she says, I went away full, but God has brought me back empty. And we closed last time by this picture of Naomi standing with Ruth. Ruth has just declared her allegiance to her. And Naomi shirks all of that off and says, I come back with nothing. And Ruth feels like nothing. And that's sort of where the story ends, except for this one detail. It tells us that they returned at the beginning of the barley harvest. So that's last week. That was a road to nowhere. So this week, what are we going to look at? This week, we are looking at, the title of the sermon is, A Destination in the Distance. Um, A Destination in the Distance. We'll look at Ruth 2. I would start off by telling you this. Remember that we are reading a story, which means this was a story written by an author, and it is told by a narrator. And in doing so, we have to realize when the narrator is speaking and when he's actually telling the story. And if we just simply read chapter 2, we would assume that that verse 1 is actually part of all of what the characters understand and know. But verse 1 is a comment by the narrator to set this up, to set the stage. And what the narrator does in verse 1 is he tells us, he lets us know what Ruth doesn't know and what Naomi apparently has forgotten. So listen to verse 1 as I read. 
Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, we will find out a little bit more about this custom known as this is Levi leveret marriage. I, I can't pronounce that word. Basically, it's the principle of a kinsman redeemer. God had established this among his people that if a man died and left his wife as a widow and did not have any sons to carry on the family name, then a close relative of his had the responsibility to then marry his widow to give children to carry on the lineage of that name, of of Elimelech's name. We find out here in the very beginning, Ruth has no idea at this point, but Naomi has such a relative. Apparently, Naomi has forgotten because she had just said in chapter 1, I don't have anybody. I don't have anybody for you to marry. And all of a sudden, the narrator says, Naomi had a close kinsman. His name's Boaz. And all of a sudden, we see hope. Last verse of chapter 1, they returned at the beginning of the barley harvest. She had left when there was a famine, but they return when God is is producing, he's giving food. All of a sudden, first verse, chapter 2, there's a relative. One of the things that we must be aware of is that what Naomi and Ruth need when they come back is they have two basic needs that are driving. One is food. The other is family. And all of a sudden... Last verse of chapter 1, first verse of chapter 2, we see the potential for these to be answered. We don't know at this point whether Boaz is going to be this kinsman redeemer, but the narrator is giving us this clue, be thinking this way. Keep your eyes on Boaz. We learn there that Boaz is a relative of her husband, which means he's qualified to be this kinsman redeemer. And we learn that he is a worthy man, is what the text says in verse 1. That worthy, is, it could speak of two different things. It could speak of his monetary wealth, that he is a wealthy man. And you see this as the story goes along because he owns these fields. He has servants that are working for him. He is a wealthy man. But worthy here also is probably speaking of his character. And we see this in verse 4 where he arrives into his field and the first thing he says to his servants is, Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. He said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they responded, And with you as well, or something to the effect. He is a man of character. They like him. He is kind, and we'll see this as we go through. So here's what I want to do that's to set this up. Three subheadings that I'll give you this morning. These are the points, and we'll read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit, talk a bit, and, and walk through the passage that way. So the first heading over verses 2 through 7 that I would give you is this. Um, From Ruth, from the character of Ruth, we learn that happenstances don't just happen. Happenstances don't just happen. Now one of the things I failed to tell you in that introduction is that what these characters in this story are meant to do is they're meant to teach us certain things about the character of God. And in today's passage, we have three main characters. And from Ruth, we learn that happenstances don't just happen. So follow along as I read verses 2 through 7. And Ruth, this is where the story begins, And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. 
So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came to him, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Uh, She came and said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. This foreman is just sort of, he's kind of put out with Ruth. And he he makes a point to tell uh, Boaz here twice that she is a Moabite. He's put out with her. He's like, I let her just glean, you know, but it's, it's kind of a nuisance. That's the sense you get. In, these, in those first seven or first six verses there, two through seven, uh, in, in verse two, we need to understand, we need to know that God's law, not only had he set up this principle of a kinsman redeemer, but he had set up this principle to take care of those who were marginalized in that culture. The, the widows, the orphans, the, the, uh, the refugees, the, out, the foreigners. He had set up this system that in all of the fields that the reapers were to come inside the field and reap what was inside, but the edges they were to leave untouched so that the poor and the marginalized among them could come and freely glean from those to be able to live. This was sort of a welfare, welfare system that, that God had, had set into place. And this is why Ruth comes and says, let me go into the fields and glean after the man who will give me favor. At this point, she needs favor. I mean, she's in Bethlehem. She's an outsider. She is this Moabite. She's dependent on somebody giving her favor at this point. And she's just hoping. And Naomi, I think, is hoping here as well because she says, Go, my daughter. And so she goes knowing this principle that she can glean around the edges. In verse 3, when it tells us there that she happened to come to the field that was Boaz, that belonged to Boaz, the, the original language there is something like her chance chanced or her happenstance happened. It's, it's this stacking of words, and what the author is doing here is he's stacking these words in this awkward arrangement so that when we hear it, it causes us to go, just happened to come to the field of Boaz? And it's, it is meant to, it's this literary device to cause us to say, I don't think this just happened. I think maybe there's something else going on. Perhaps God is up to something. Verses 4 through 7, we see at the same time that Ruth is gleaning in the field, just happens that Boaz shows up at the same time. And Boaz comes into the field, and out of all the people that are working for him, out of all, and he's going to, you'll see later on, there, there are young women in the field as well. Out of all the people there, who does he notice? Ruth. I mean, I don't know why he notices her. I mean, apparently she's attractive. And this is sort of like, who's that, right? Is this Mike? Am I doing something wrong? This mic keeps cutting out. Am I good? Just keep going. All right. Um, I, I can remember the first time that, that I saw my wife, who wasn't my wife at the time, sitting in that, that choir in college for non-music majors. And uh, I was in there, and uh, it was the first day of class, and, uh, and uh, the 
teacher gets up who's leading this choir that I'm taking this for class credit, and, uh, and she introduces herself, and she turns to the piano and introduces our accompanist for the, for the semester. And it was my wife. And my first thought was, who's that? <laughs> and that's what I picture here with Boaz coming into the field. But notice he does not say, who is that? He says, who's he? And it is this, it's, it's meant to draw our attention to the fact, that, again, that Ruth belongs to no one, that she is without family. It is meant to, to heighten this story and keep this in front of us. And it, it's meant to show us that, indeed, God is up to something behind the scenes. This is not merely coincidence. And for us, we've already seen in this that happenstances don't just happen. And I would tell you that in our lives, fast forward to today, that oftentimes we don't always see all of what God is doing. We can't always know what is going on. Sometimes life gets really tough for us, and we are being squeezed from all directions, but we cannot know all of what God is doing, and sometimes things happen, and I would implore you to see what's being taught here, even even in this, this text, that happenstances don't just happen, that God's at work. Sinclair Ferguson said it this way, we can be quietly confident, not because we know exactly what God is doing in this unpredictable world, but because we know that what is unpredictable to us is already predicted by him. I would draw your attention to the fact that Jesus was prophesied by the, by the, by the prophet Isaiah uh, some 700 years before he came. The details around his birth and, and the similarities there in Isaiah, 700 years ahead of time, are eerie. It's almost as if someone planned it. To which I would say, there was that someone. And in your life as well, God is planning every detail, and you can trust him with the details because he is at work behind the scenes. Happenstances don't just happen. The second heading that I would put over a section of verses, verses 8 through 16, I would point you to uh, this. From Boaz, we learn how God loves the outcast. From Boaz, we learn how God loves the outcast. Follow along as I read verses 8 through 16. Then Boaz said to Ruth, so he goes over to her, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me? Since I'm a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother in law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have you've come to take refuge. And then she said, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord. For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Verse 14. 
And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she, she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some from among the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. To see how God loves the outcast, we've got to look at how Boaz here loves or extends love or kindness to Ruth. Just humor me and walk through this. In verse 8, Boaz speaks to Ruth as a real person. Do you realize how shocking this would have been for the hearers to hear this in this story? That the, the rich Israelite landowner comes across the field to this Pagan, nobody, widow, Moabite girl. And he speaks to her. I would imagine, perhaps, maybe Ruth sees him coming and maybe she's terrified. She is just expecting that he's going to say, leave my field, get out, go somewhere else. But instead, he doesn't do that. He comes and he says, listen, my daughter, don't go anywhere else. He speaks to her as a real person. Verses 8 and 9, Boaz assures her she's welcome there. She has no need to go anywhere else. That morning she set out not knowing which field she would glean from or if any. She was hoping that someone would show her favor. She just received favor because Boaz comes and says, don't go anywhere else. Where my young women glean, you follow them and glean right where they're, they're gleaning. This is amazing. In verse 9, Boaz protects her from being abused or mistreated. You can imagine in this day and age, in this, this uh, point in history, particularly for a foreign woman who wasn't protected by even the laws that governed the land uh, there in, in Israel, she would, the potential would have been for her to be abused and mistreated. And he warns his men, don't touch her, don't harass her, don't abuse her. In verse 9, Boaz meets her physical need. He, he says, look, when you get thirsty, it's hot out here, you're gleaning. When you get thirsty, come over and drink from the water that my men have drawn. Now, this is in a day and age where men didn't draw water for women. And I know that's, that's sort of offensive to us today, but that's just how it was then. Not only did men not draw water for women, but women drew the water for men, and certainly Israelites did not draw water for Moabites. It would have been the other way around. And here, Boaz says to her, come drink water that my men have drawn for you. Drink from the same water. This is an amazing thing of how he shows her kindness. In verse 14, Boaz himself serves her. It says there that he, he brings her into lunch, provides for her, I mean, who knows what she brought that day? She probably had nothing to bring that day. Who knows what she was eating? Perhaps she would eat a little bit of the grain even just out of the field just to give her something. She maybe had nothing to eat. And Boaz says, no, 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 come where my men are eating. I've brought extra for you. And not only does he bring her in and provide for her, it says that he personally passes to her roasted grain. It's a staple in that diet of that day. And he says to her, here, take some bread and, and come, dip it in, in, in this vinegar wine. This is like, like a, a, 
side sauce or what do you get like it like with nuggets or something this is kind of what it would have been like you know you say come come dip in this this is this is an, a beautiful picture here of boaz serving her so much so that she ate till she was full and she had some left over she gets to pack a doggy bag she gets to go home at the end of the day and take some back to naomi this is Beautiful for her. You think she's going to waste any food? No, no, no. She knows Naomi, who she's committed herself to, is back home, and she's hungry too. So she packs this away. I don't know where she puts it. I don't know if she got pockets. I don't know. But she puts it away because she packs a doggy bag. In verses 15 and 16, Boaz gave to her generously. As if he's not been generous enough already, he gives to her generously. He says to his men, listen, guys, when you go back from lunch and you go back out into the fields, Don't keep her on the edges. Let her come out from the edges and come glean even among the sheaves. And guys, I want you to go one step further. The grain, pull some of those out and leave them behind for her so that she doesn't even have to harvest it. Just pull it out so that she can have it. This This is an amazing picture here. And at this point, we have to ask the question, why? Why is Boaz so kind in this way? Uh, maybe, perhaps, the author is pointing to the fact that there is a budding romance developing here. I mean, again, I go back to Hallmark Channel, Lifetime. The case. If, if, if there's something going on here, this romance is developing, this is the guy who rides in and, and begins to show favor and kindness. But I don't think we have to wonder... Because Ruth herself asked the question for us. Verse 10, she's overcome with with humble gratitude and and she just hits her face and she says, why have I found favor in your eyes? What's caused you to set your gaze upon me? Verses 11 and 12, Boaz responds to her and he says, look, I've heard about what you did. I've heard about all your kindness towards your mother-in-law since, since your husband died. And I also heard how you left your people and you left your family, you left your homeland and came to a people you don't even know. And you did all this to, to come and take shelter under the wings of the Hebrew God. May he repay you. And this is why he's being so kind. He sees himself as an agent, a representative of God himself. Verse 13, Ruth again says, I'm not even one of your servants and you've shown favor through your generosity and your kind words. These, I mean, she was just overcome. And I would point you to the fact that Boaz here, just as from, from Ruth in, in the beginning and realizing that happenstances don't just happen and how God works in the, in the behind the scenes, even here from Boaz we see a picture of Christ. Is, that, is this not how Christ has loved us? Were we not the outsider? Were we not the outcast? I would say to you that that Jesus came and he approached us as real people, real individuals. He doesn't doesn't approach us as those who are, well, they're a little too far gone. Well, they're not so bad. He comes to us and says, any who will come to me can have their sins forgiven. Jesus came to us and said, there's no need to go anywhere else. 
Jesus provides for our physical needs. He says, if you drink from the water that I can provide, you'll never thirst again. Boaz, or or Jesus, protects us from being mistreated or abused. I I couldn't help but think about Ephesians 6 there at the end, this spiritual armor that we put on, and how God is, is protecting us in Christ. Jesus himself has indeed served us. That just as Boaz said, come and eat, and he passes her this grain, and he gives her bread, and he says, come dip in the wine, this is meant for us to see a picture of Jesus saying, my flesh is the bread of life. My blood has been spilled for you. Come and eat. We learn from Boaz how God loves the outcast. And I would remind you that there is not one among us who does not play the role or fit the bill of the outcast. Verse 12 also teaches us an important lesson about the way that God loves the outcast through us. Boaz, to this point, has said, the Lord repay you. But so far, it's been Boaz writing all the checks. I mean, God's not in the field going, hey, Boaz, here's a little bit of grain, you know, give this to her. Instead, Boaz is the one who's, who's the one going out of his way to, to be kind to her. He says, may the Lord repay you, but he's the one shelling out everything. Well, what does this teach us? Well, Boaz realizes that everything he has is from God. It's his. It belongs to him. And if God is going to be kind to us, he will do so through his people. That Boaz was God's man, and because he was God's man, he was the instrument of God's kindness to Ruth. And I would say to you and to me this morning that as believers, as Christians... If we are God's people, then we are also to be the instruments of God's kindness to the outcasts among us. Let me bring this home just a little bit. I don't want to meddle here, but I do want to, I do want to, I want to pound on this nail just a little bit longer. There are people around us who feel as though they cannot come into a place like this for fear that they will be rejected. There are people among us who know people who are in that situation and who desperately want to see their their friends come to know the, the freedom in Christ that they know, but they wonder if they come here, are our people ready to receive them? I would say to you as your pastor, I pray that if someone walks in to this place inquisitive about the God that we worship, that we would not shun them, that we would not whisper about them in the hallways, that we would not, we would not hide our eyes from them, but instead that we would welcome them in. That we would look to the people who might come in who struggle with things like same-sex attraction and realize that their same-sex attraction is no different than our struggle, whatever it may be. My affinity towards sugar just as much a broken piece of creation because of, the sin, of sin and the fall as, it, as is that same-sex attraction. And we must be about helping people wherever they are find the hope and the freedom that comes in Christ alone. So let us be a place that does not shun but opens our arms. Not saying it is okay for you to stay in what you are in and just wallow around in it, but that we might love people to the place of saying, come close to the cross, but if you're going to come close, God calls us to lay down our sin. 
And we must say what is sin and what is not. We must be honest about our own wrestlings so that others can also come to know the grace that we have received. Am I clear? Third heading that I would give you today. From Naomi, we've learned from Ruth, we've learned from Boaz. From Naomi, we learn that God does not forsake his own. From Naomi, we learn that God does not forsake his own. Follow along as I read verses 17 through 23. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. And she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her the food that she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law, with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with with these young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. God does not forsake his own. We have no idea how much barley Ruth harvests here because we don't understand the measurements. In one day, Ruth was able to collect an ephah of barley. An ephah, in the research that I have done, is somewhere, depending on the quality of the grain, you know that some grain is heavier than others, it, depending on the quality, would be somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds of barley. You still don't know how much that is. Because you don't know how much it takes to, to make stuff. And it, you know, but the daily ration for an average man was one to two pounds. So for Ruth and Naomi, they're certainly probably not going to eat what an average man would. And so in one day, thanks to the generosity of Boaz, she brings home a month's worth of groceries. This is an amazing picture here. God does not forsake his own. But remember, at this point, Naomi doesn't know. You can imagine Ruth as she's there beating out the barley and and just seeing it fall off and pile up. She's thinking, this is incredible. I can't wait to tell Naomi. The Bible here tells us that Ruth is is a pretty tough woman because not only has she worked all day long from morning till lunch and from lunch until the evening and then she goes and she beats it out and she piles it up. I don't know what she carries it in, but she's going to carry this all the way back into the city. We don't know how far this is, but she's going to trek all this carrying 30 to 50 pounds all the way home. I mean, imagine, you you probably don't pick up a lot of 30 to 50 pound sacks of anything anymore. I worked at a feed store after high school. And so I was very, I'm very familiar. I can still feel the weight of those things over my shoulder. Those 50 pound bags of feed or those 25 pound bags of, of chicken scratch or whatever it was. It, for, in our vernacular, maybe go to the dog food aisle and the big bag, just when you're there shopping, just pick it up and realize what Ruth carried back to Naomi. 
In verse 18, Naomi saw the huge sack of grain, and, and just about the time that her jaw hits the floor, and she said, where in the world? Her jaw hits the floor, Ruth pulls out the doggy bag. And it's this beautiful picture here. Naomi is just shocked, and then she's doubly shocked. Like, you had food on top of this? And Naomi is flabbergasted, and the words begin to just fumble out of her mouth. That's these sentences. She repeats the same sentence twice using different words. With whom did you work today, and where did you work? It's just saying the same thing. She's just fumbling over herself. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Now remember the last time that we saw Naomi in chapter 1. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. He has brought calamity upon me. And all of a sudden, blessed be the man who took favor on you. Verse 19 would remind you that, that their needs here, the, the two needs that they have are food and family. And at this point, one of those needs apparently seems to be being met. The food part of it. But they still have this issue of family. It's still going to be Naomi and Ruth together, but against all odds. Maybe this won't last. Maybe this was just one of those days that, man, this was a great day, but they're not all going to be like this. So Naomi is elated, but she wants to know, who is this man? Who, who took favor on you? Who did you work for today? And what, what the author here does in verse 19 is he writes this very long sentence and makes sure that he saves the name of the man to the very last word. In verse 19, so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And you can imagine Naomi's faith, face fixed on Ruth, waiting for the name to fall from her lips, hanging on every word. And when Boaz comes out, she remembers the name. She remembers what she has forgotten. In verse 20, she said, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said, said to her, The man is a close relative of ours. You contrast that with, with chapter 1, verse 13, where she said, No, my daughters, don't come with me. Go back to your people. It is extremely bitter for me that the Lord's hand has gone out against me. All of a sudden, Naomi goes from God is against me to God doesn't forsake his own. And God here is causing her to return. He's bringing her back. The thick black clouds that kept Naomi from seeing God's kindness were suddenly shot through with rays of hope by the kindness of God. Naomi realized that God was not against her, that he had not brought calamity on her, but he was remembering her. The kindness of God is, this, is a very important concept, not only in all of the Old Testament, but here in the book of Ruth. It's, it's the Hebrew word hesed. It's, it's God's covenant love. It's his covenant-keeping faithfulness. It's God committing himself to the Israelites. And that's what we see here, is that God indeed has committed himself to Naomi. It's the same word in, in chapter 1, verse 8, where Naomi prayed for her daughter-in-law, may the Lord deal kindly with you, hesed, 
May he show Hesed his covenant faithfulness to you as you have dealt with me and with the dead. Naomi uttered that prayer there for her daughters-in-law in chapter 1, probably not ever thinking God would answer it. And now since Ruth has affixed herself to Naomi, God is answering Naomi's prayer and Naomi is the beneficiary. I would remind you, just as God has not forsaken his own here in this story, if you belong to God in Christ Jesus, he will never forsake you either. I would like to read for you Romans 8. It's a passage I quote often, but I just want to read it so I get it all down. Romans 8, 28 through 30 says this, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose... For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul there in Romans speaks as if this is a settled reality. Even though this is a future event, he speaks of it as if it's a done deal. You can count on it because... God is a Hesed God. He is faithful to keep his word. Verses 21 and 22, Naomi apparently learns from her mistakes. Ruth says, he told me to come back and just don't go anywhere else and stay close to his young women and and stay with him throughout the entire harvest, not just the barley harvest, but the wheat harvest also. And Naomi says, "It's, it's good, Ruth, for you to do this. Stay close to his young women, lest you be assaulted somewhere else. I think we're, we're, we see here Naomi's concern for Ruth's physical safety, but we would be emit, uh, remiss if we did not see the connection to Elimelech leading his family away from God's field to go into someone else's field. And Naomi here remembers her and learns from her mistakes, and she says, no, I've been down that road. I left the field of God's provision once, and it did not work out so well. So, Ruth, you stay right there. And we're left here with a cliffhanger. Verses 23 tells us that she, she did. She stuck around with, with uh, Boaz's women there. She harvested with them all the way through the barley season, all the way through the wheat season. And this would have been two to three months. And we, we see what we think is this budding romance And by now we think, well, man, this thing's heading to a marriage. But the very last verse, and she lived with her (laughs) mother-in-law. What? This thing should be moving faster than this, right? And it's meant to cause us to hang on, to, to be left with this dangling hope. They have food now, but will they have family to be continued? conclusion for us today is this. God is directing all of our steps, and we can trust him. I don't know what you are going through at this moment, but I would implore you that happenstances don't just happen. David Platt said it this way, in the middle of our sorrow and suffering, God is plotting for our satisfaction. Hang on. Trust him. Number two, I would ask you this. Who does God want to love through you? Maybe it's someone you already know. Perhaps it's someone that you have yet to take notice of. Who does God want to love through you? And number three, don't ever lose hope. 
Because God does not forsake his own. His kindness does not forsake the living or the dead. And he will not forsake you either. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for how clear it is. And God, I'm, I'm so thankful that you are a storytelling God. Lord, that we are drawn into the drama of redemption through the characters of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. God, would you cause our lives to be a reflection of the life of Boaz? That you might put people in our path that we might notice that we might be able to extend love and kindness toward. God, would you help us to, our lives to reflect that of Ruth, that, Lord, that we might see that you're at work behind the scenes, that you're doing things that we don't know yet and that we would trust you along the way. God, would you give us the faith to believe? God, would you cause our lives to reflect that of Naomi, God, that when we are just at the point of, of losing hope, God, would you cause your kindness to shine through the dark clouds over us. And God, that we might go from saying God is against me to he has not forsaken the living or the dead. God, I pray, Lord, that in this time of response that you would glorify yourself, would draw us to you so that you might be made much of through our redemption. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to reflect on what's been said and to respond as God leads. Perhaps he's led you to, to pray for somebody in particular, to pray for yourself even and how you have saw someone around you. Maybe it's, God, I need courage to love them well. Maybe, maybe you're just at this place where you don't think it's going to work out and you can't see what God's doing and it doesn't make sense to you. Maybe pray for trust. Maybe you're about to the place of giving up. Maybe just ask the Lord to break through the darkness in your life. If you're here today as an unbeliever, you've never trusted Christ to save you from your sins, let me remind you that Boaz is a picture of how Jesus came from heaven and he stepped across the field into, into the field where we were. That he, that he offers us living water, that he breaks the bread of his life, of his flesh, and then he gives the, the blood that, that coursed through his veins on our behalf, on your behalf, so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be brought near to dine at the table of our God. Whatever it is that God has called you to today, you have permission as if you needed it. Please, go do it. Let's worship him. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.